Welcome to the Big Ideas for Small Business podcast. Join us as our host and fellow small business owner, Tim Hayden, discusses topics beneficial to businesses of all industries. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Big Ideas for Small Business. Uh, last, what, four or five months, we've had our guest host, Gordon Blocker. So uh, this month, Gordon and I are co-hosting. So Gordon, welcome back to the podcast. What's up? How you doing, Tim? I'm doing good. How about you? All right. Excited. Yeah. Hey, so I tell you, so far, our listeners, we've got a very special guest that I'm really excited about today. So, um, you know, as everyone knows, on our past four or five podcasts, we talked about the motive. And, you know, one one topic in particular we talked about was making difficult, making difficult decisions. And Gordon knows that I'm a Clemson guy. That's where I went a long time ago. And Gordon used the example of when Dabo had to make a really hard decision. Gordon, and I'm making it wrong, but it may have been, it was September 2018. You you mentioned the date. And you said, Tim, what happened? And I knew exactly what happened that day. So uh-huh. we've got a, a right. former player that was on the team. So Darian Richer, who for our listeners, uh, hey, he is from Anderson, South Carolina, where I am right now. So he, uh, he and I go to church together and known each other for a little while. So uh, Darian, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Glad to be joined by you guys. Glad to be on. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, we are too. So, hey, Gordon, we'll turn it over to you, and I'll jump in. And right. Have some good, good so, conversation. Darren, you're going to save us because we've been guessing for about six months about what happens on the inside at the Clemson football program, and we're going to ask you to give us all the real stories. I knew Tim was such a fan, and so I just thought, you know, thinking through any real life organization where you have a leader, you have a team. Uh, and stories are the best thing. Stories help people learn. So here, here are the five things that my boss, Pat Lincioni, says that leaders hate to do. And maybe you can relate to this or, or empathize with it. And then we love your perspective on stories that happen. Could be a good story, a bad story, somewhere in between on what, how you watch the coaching staff and any other leaders on the team handle this stuff. So here they go. Number one, people, uh, you know, leaders often avoid developing a team, which sounds like that sounds counterintuitive. But what it means is really working on uh, improving the cohesion of the team versus just expecting everyone's just going to go do their job, which is ironic. You think a lot of leaders love building a team, but a lot of times leaders just expect the team will come together on their own. Number two, managing people, because, you know, it's like, well, everyone says, oh, I don't like to manage people. I don't like to micromanage but the reality is, is that people do need to be managed. You know, Tim and I, when we talk about leadership, we'll say there's do, there's manage, and there's lead. Doers are just really talented people. That would just be any given profession. Could be a football player, could be a, a surgeon. Uh, the reality is, is that if you put 10 people and you said, hey, go do the same thing, go run the same play, you're going to get a variety of results based on how well they're managed. Number three, running meetings. Uh, Pat wrote a book called Death by Meeting because people don't t- tend to like to be in meetings. They don't like to be in long meetings. They don't like to be in boring meetings. Meetings sometimes are ineffective. Spend a lot of time talking about things versus getting things done. Number four, having difficult conversations, which is when we particularly talked about what would, what would have been like that day to tell a starting quarterback, you're not going to start anymore. And tell a backup quarterback, you're going to become the starter. And then, you know, what obviously how that changed the fate of both those players. And then lastly, communicating constantly. Uh, the reason why leaders don't like to do this is that it's um, it's hard to constantly remind people of the same things over and over. 
you feel like it's redundant. You feel like uh, people aren't interested. And so you have these, these tensions. And what Pat said when he introduced the motive is that a lot of people want to be leaders, uh, but they sometimes really just want to be known as a leader versus actually do the hard work. And Tim, uh, how many times have you told me that being a leader is hard this last year, Tim? It's, extre- <laughs> it's, it's extremely hard, Gordon. It's extremely hard. Right. And so I'm interested, Derek, you know, he, he, Pat says basically there's two types of leaders. One type of leader says, man, this is great. I got to a certain place. I did all the hard work. Now I get to lead. I get to kind of kick back and enjoy the privileges of leaders, ver- leadership versus really, really great leaders are the ones that go, man, this is going to be really hard, but it's going to be rewarding. Oh, yeah, it's going to be really hard, but I'm still going to do it because I need, I'm, I'm required to lead. And that's what it's going to take to win. So as I say this stuff and you think about the coaches you've played for um, and include, include Davos Sweeney if you'd like, or maybe one we've never heard of, what would be an example of a leader that you thought, oh, my gosh, that was such a great leader. I love playing for that leader and that coach. And one, you don't even have to tell us the name, but you could just describe a leader. You thought, man, I don't know. I don't even know if that leader should have been a leader. What's an example of each side? Okay. Um, one, I learned. I just learned something there. That was good. I like the five things, especially the part about um, a lot more. A lot more people want to be known as leader than people actually want to lead. That was really insightful. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. I would say just from my experience, um, we can use Coach Williams for for example. I think he is a great leader. I think he's known as a good leader, but also that's because he's proven himself to be a good leader over time. Um, there was once mm-hmm. a time where people didn't believe in him, but his self belief kind of made everybody believe in him and obviously the results he's he's had over the past decade um so uh example of him being a good leader i would just say you kind of allude to a couple of things that when you're receiving it you don't know it until you kind of see like the process go through it and obviously uh, mm-hmm. in college football is such a revolving door so each year he has to reinstall like the culture which i think mm-hmm. is unique because a lot of jobs like you do have a lot of t- like people who kind of stay on staff or you people might be there for five ten years five, 10 years on a job. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. the staff could be like that, but as far as the players are considered, I mean, they, they are employees that you're, you have to do a job as yeah. well. Uh, and I, I think I, one thing I was in looking back, uh, one thing he did was really impactful each and every year he would go through, um, the same like culture curriculum. So no matter if I was there yeah. for six years, I did, I redshirted, I played for, I came back for the COVID year. And so no matter if you're a freshman or you've been there forever, or if you're a coach on staff that's been there for 10 years, you got the same talk every year during camp. It was about, here's the pro here's the program is, here's what we're about. Here's why we do it. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. And didn't change my entire time. It was the same. He might've changed a little bit. He might've said a different joke every now and then, but I mean, it was the same talk every year. And, uh, it's cool because every year I feel like my perspective on it changed. So I still learn something. And so okay. it, it, it obviously was the same thing, but you just saw it through new eyes and obviously people coming in, it was their first time hearing it. And that's one of the things you said, like he, he over communicated what the culture was to where it was ingrained in the people. And, and I think that's huge when you talk about building a culture, cause it has to become a part of the people uh, or it's not real. Um, then I, as far as, and you can stop me there if you want to ask a question, but as far as a bad example, uh, yeah, yeah. I give a name. I would just say, I think anytime as a leader, you get caught up in a title more so than your character you you hold. Because I think okay. some people you can you can work to get into get into a position, but obviously, but the reason you got into the position is because of your character, not because you had a title at the time. 
I think sometimes once yeah, you get right. a title, people be- become relying on the title instead of actually carrying themselves as a leader. And so I had a couple of coaches, right. not a couple, well, whether it was analysts or coaches, uh, just with anybody like that. You're not even a good program. Everybody's not perfect. You're gonna have people who, who probably maybe shouldn't be there or aren't in, in a good groove right now. And I would say sometimes right. those coaches were, uh, like I said, I think they they held on to their title. It was more forceful than it was inspirational leadership. Instead, of like showing you why you should follow them it was more so they would tell you, and you should, you didn't see uh, the substance there. So yeah, right. All right. So I got two follow up questions. So you mentioned he does a speech every year. So let's yeah. say I'm a uh, let's say I'm a high school senior right now, and I'm gonna and I'm and I'm gonna go to Clemson next year. And you say, hey, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm gonna tell you, Gordon, exactly what you're gonna hear on that speech. What would be some key phrases or words you can almost predict for certainty an incoming high school senior is gonna hear next year at Clemson? You don't get what you expect; you get what you inspect. Okay, that's one. Of, that's All one right. of his golden ones. Just because he talks about culture, like he, he talks a lot about accountability. That's a big thing within the program. Uh, okay, just the highest care of himself as a, as a man. But you're gonna hear that quote for sure. Uh, just because he re- he re- reiterates the point of people expect great things, but they don't inspect for great things. And okay, cool. He he, he has systems in place where that's we have accountability teams or uh, different things throughout the week to just ensure like we're getting. We're on we're on par to get the result we actually want instead of just having wishful thinking. And so I would say you'll, okay. you'll hear that. And then just the mantra. I got this thing. You can't even see my screen, but y'all can see it. Uh, you'll hear this. Just like I kept this. He gave us all the seniors when you leave. It's upside down. But you'll be okay. all in. Or all, all in. in. To, do, to do your best. I think you'll hear that. Okay. Those two things you'll hear for sure. There's a lot of things. He, he's uh, He definitely innovates like anybody else. Uh, which you have okay. to to stay successful, but at the same time, he has a, a, some core beliefs that he's he's had uh, long before I was there. He'll have long after. Obviously, I'm gone now. He'll have long after I'm gone. That I think have been foundational to his success as a man that he transferred to him being a being a head coach. Okay, cool. And then the other thing you said was about you know people that are kind of in it for themselves. And here's my really old school, but probably just naive perception as an athlete who grew up in the '90s. You know, this is pre, like, I remember the days before ESPN. Tim, do you remember the days before ESPN? And you know, I, I think the interesting yes. thing, here's, here's what I've observed, is that marketing and sports has gone from team to individual. Would you agree with that, Darian? I mean, it's heavy, heavy on the individual. So I'm yeah. curious, I, I, how I, do you, good, good. I'm, I'm curious, how do you balance between, you know, the ego-driven stuff that's constantly being pushed from the media to then working and sacrificing for the collective win for the team? I think when you see, like, the two are – the two help one another out, you know. I think that's one of the biggest things is in Clemson, just because it is it, – which I think it's a healthy transition, honestly, because a lot of times in sports world you could be a part of, like, a team – or a program organization that you gave your life to. And when it's all said and done, the program's still going and you didn't have a brand to go then monetize or have momentum to go do something for yourself. And there's a couple of athletes that obviously right. have done that even back in the day, like a Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson built, built enough personal brand where they, when they detached from the Chicago Bulls or the Lakers, they were still able to go then and have momentum as a personal brand. And so I, I do think that is a healthy uh, progression of just like uh, athletics, but at the same time, it comes with different pitfalls, you know? 
Um, because now mm-hmm. you obviously said that there are a lot more egos involved because everybody is trying to build a personal brand, which I think is a good thing, but can be detrimental sometimes if you don't have the right like leadership or wisdom kind of speaking into that. And so, um, and from my experience, I think the, the, the way you see it is ultimately if we're all successful as a team, it's going to, it's going to benefit you as an individual. And I think that's, you look at success in every aspect, like when the team wins, it'll boost your individual success, whether you're LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Stephen Curry, whoever, those are, those are obviously right. common examples. Tom Brady, uh, winning as a team ultimately only in, only enhances what you want to do personally. And that was my experience, my experience in the program too. Like I have different things I want to get into. I want to build my brand and by helping the success of the team, I also was able to help myself. And so I think the two go hand yeah. in hand and they're not mutually exclusive. And I think that's the thing of leadership can help really lay that foundation that if you are team first and help the team, you can then go maximize what you want to do on your own. Okay. Hey, I, I got a couple Aaron, more questions. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. I, I just want to, you know, for our listeners that are uh, leaning in here, I think that, um, you know, when, when you started out, I think that, yeah, you know, I think companies, there's so many parallels between a team, you know, a, a college football team and a company. Right. And, and you had mentioned probably half a dozen times in our short call today, leadership. And right. the thing that, and, and, you know, Gordon, what we've been working on with you is uh, Darian started out the whole thing. He talked about accountability. And you know what? Having the playbook. And, and you know what? At the beginning of the fall camp, you're talking about, hey, you know, what, what's a high school senior going to hear when they come in? You know, and you, and you mentioned that. So I think that for our listeners, you know, if you're, if you're leading a business or if you're, you know, you're in a leadership role, is that accountability is such a huge deal. You talk about it in sports, in the sports arena, but it's the same in, in, uh, in business. If you don't have a, if you don't have accountability, if you don't have tough conversations and have some debate and conversation, I think it's really important. You know, it's something that I've learned recently, you know, we all have a certain amount of time, energy, and effort. And the decisions we make, we want to generate the outcomes we want to see. So, you know what, that does that apply to sports just as well as it applies to business? Right. You're saying, pose the question one more time. Yeah, no, what I'm saying is that, you know, all of us, no matter what you do, whether you're playing college football or if you're working in a business, we have a limited amount of time and energy and effort. Correct. We Correct. want to make sure we're spending on the right things. So, ultimately, we make decisions, and with those decisions, we have outcomes. So the outcome, right. and Darian, we didn't take the time to, to go over your bio, but hey, you played at Clemson for six years. If I remember, you won two national championships. Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right. Was, was, that, was, that, was yeah. definitely blessed. Was there a good time for sure? Yeah. Yeah. That's your, yeah. 2016 and 2018. Yeah. Yes, but I think that it's, it's, you know what? We have to make hard decisions and we expect right. outcomes out of those decisions. So, Gordon, you know, that could, we can pivot in. You had a question or two, but I want to take just a minute to connect that because you know what? It all comes down to accountability and you want mutual accountability that starts with trust. If you don't have trust as the foundation, you can't build anything to sustain itself. So hope that connects to what we're talking about, Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So let's just, let's go down to five things that leaders tend to hate to do and just be honest and give us some stories. So the first thing is developing a team of leaders. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Dabo's staff is 15, 20 strong. How many, how many assistant coaches are there at Clemson? Uh-huh. All right, it's like levels, just like any organization. You have like uh, position coaches, so you have mm-hmm. five on each, five on each side. So you got ten ten uh, position coaches. Then beneath that, you have 
on offensive side, you probably have 10 or so analysts or just 10, 10 to 15 analyst GAs. Probably 10. 10 analysts or GAs. So that puts you like 15 or puts you at 20 on both sides. So you probably got staff of 40 people connected to football sure. particularly. 40, wow. yeah, 30, 30, 30, 40 just to football. Then you got administrative staff. You got the, the like the people who run operations, are recruiting. You got player development. So you mean the staff's probably like 60 people. Yeah, and with, and who would video. you say is on Dabo's like core team? I know it's probably just determined by the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, but right. the people that you think Dabo look to as partners, like I need your help to drive the Crimson Clemson program. Who do you think you look to for that? I think he does a really good job of I'll answer a question and give you like a counter. I think he does a really good job of making everybody feel important enough to the mission. So where you do feel empowered enough to know your role matters okay. that being said obviously there's weight in every position so if you're asking that question i'll probably say the you got the oc and the dc are the most like direct and then besides that uh on the back end side of business because running running the program is not a, i know more now and i'm on the outside and i get to hear some of the conversations is you it is running a business you got a lot of it's a lot a lot of, a lot of money a lot of investments you know things that you want to yeah. grow up you're investing in buildings, facilities, uh, you're doing recruiting. So on the back end, you probably the guy who's running operations and then a recruiting guy. I'd probably say those four are the closest. And you got okay. his he has like a a right hand man who's like the it was it was his coach Alabama, but he he, he Woody McCorvey kind of serves as his like right hand person yeah. who is like makes the rest of the decisions. So probably five or six people who kind of direct directly report, I would say, to Sweeney. Uh, Tim will appreciate this question. You ever see somebody disagree with Dabo or challenge him or change his mind? Yeah, I mean, so I think anybody's greatest strength is their greatest weakness in, to a certain extent, you know? Uh, I think the mm. thing that makes Coach Sweeney so dynamic is he's super, like, um, he's super set. Like, once he has a decision, once he, ha- he believes in something, like, there's no stopping him. And so for him to change his mind takes some it's kind of a gradual change of mind. You know, it's it's not like it's not like a <laughs> flip switch. But no, I definitely have seen, seen him like grow. And even as a man, I think it's one of the things that made him so um trustworthy, like use that word, was because when he did like make a mistake or he did he, he had a chance as a leader to like own up to something, he did it. Or take accountability. So for that, okay, as as a as like a person in the program, it made you like believe in him even more because like, oh, he's human. He take accountability whether we lost a game or a coach made a bad decision. Like he was never he never shied away from taking personal accountability for decisions in the program because obviously he was like okay. everything falls on him. You know. Yeah, we love that. We call that vulnerability is when a leader is open to being coachable and teachable and and even admitting a mistake. We, right. You know, we have this theory that a lot of leaders don't admit mistakes because they think, oh, if I admit mistakes, people will respect me less. When right. ironically, the more vulnerable leaders are, the more we trust them and respect them. Do you remember like the most vulnerable you ever saw Dabo in terms of like, wow, this is just a human being. He's He's got mistakes just like I do. And now I trust him so much more. Do you remember a vulnerable moment? Yeah. Um, probably say 2020. Um, when our program, we had a situ- situation that went like super public. It was a private matter that went public. Um, and our program was 
was really on the hot seat. His character was being attacked. Like I never seen. Like, he huh. always gets. He you always get attacked, especially in leadership. That just comes with the territory. But it was like one of the, one of the times I think it was it was more direct to him as a man than him as a ball coach. You know, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't necessarily agree with the things that were being said, and I could definitely see it affected him like it would any man. And I think the way he led through that time, one, it was the toughest time in our country to date, um, like probably all in all of our existence, the, the year of 2020 with COVID, all the racial injustice. And just to see him be vulnerable, be open, uh, be willing to listen to people around him and to lead, a, lead our program through that time, I'll probably say that year was the year I seen the most vulnerable. Okay, wow, man. Uh, I got I got a bonus question, Tim, but I've covered all the five. You got any other kind of general questions before I do another couple of bonus questions? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, um, you know, Gordon, one of the things we talked about, you know, was when Coach Sweeney made a really hard decision. Uh, mm-hmm. Or what we assume from the fan base and from people on the outside, when he made the decision, you know, to change starting quarterbacks from Kelly Bryant to uh, Trevor. And, you know, right. Darian, you know both of those guys really well, I believe. Is that right? Correct. Correct. You know, so, hey, so from the players' perspective then and even now, you know, how how was that? You know, how was it with the team? How how did the coaches take it? And how did how did you take it as a player? You know, when if you if you rewound back to 2018. Yeah. So context. I grew up with Kelly Brown. We played AAU basketball together when we were like 10 years old or 11. So I've known him a lot of my life prior to us both both playing at Clemson. And Trevor just naturally through mutual friends became one of my better friends in school. And so I had a lot of love for both of the guys. Um, and it was never really a character thing. Uh, Kelly was like a loved, beloved dude on the team and the Clemson fan base. Um, carried himself high, um, had great energy. I like, was super positive. And then obviously Trevor was uh, kind, of, kind of the chosen one in a lot of people's eyes. Has come out like the one of the highest recruits ever coming 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 to the program. A lot of expectation, and we were coming off a year. We had one national championship. We had lost in the playoffs, and we we're coming off a year. We really had to prove ourselves. Uh, I don't think and Kelly led us to AC championship after Deshaun had given over the reins. We had a good year. It just wasn't a national championship year, and so it was a lot of contextual things that like made the decision even harder because it wasn't like he necessarily played bad. It was just a potential for growth that I think Coach Sweeney mm-hmm. saw and knew we needed to we needed to have in order to make the run we were going to make. And so, there's always a lot of he say, she say. If we would have kept Kelly, could we have won that game? Could we want? Could, could we have won a championship that year? I don't. I don't know. But I know we did win a championship because he made that decision for sure. And so that's how I would look at. Definitely was one of the tougher decisions I ever seen him make football wise, just because the team was really rallied around Kelly as the leader on the team at that point because uh, he's a quarterback and obviously high carried himself. So to make the decision, he knew, I mean, people weren't going to be happy about it, whether inside the building or outside the building. But at the end of the day, he knew it was the best, best decision for the team. And so I think that's a great leadership lesson. Like you said, like sometimes if you feel like you have a gut feeling and you feel like you have discernment to make that decision, you got you to gotta lead with the future in mind, not the present feelings of people. And obviously everybody was happy when we were celebrating with a trophy holding up, you know, like he, right. he saw that vision of that decision. But in the moment, that was one of the tougher team meetings I ever sat into because it was like he was up front. He gave he gave vision, gave context to why he's making a decision. And he made a decision in front of the whole team. And it just was what it was. And obviously everybody was like 
you could, you could feel the tension in the room, but uh, he had he had made decisions decisions in the past, obviously getting the backbone to make that decision. And so, yeah, wow. I would think, yeah, wow. that's that that's a big that's a big point. I would say just like I think as a leader, as progressional things you, you got to do, whether like, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like every decision leads to the next decision. You know, he had made decisions in the past to start freshmen, and that was the biggest. He start he started a freshman over a proven guy. Um, yeah, right. Because he believed that because he believed that was what was best for the team, and he had done that in the past with like less uh, less publicity around the players. So like people on the inside knew, but people on the outside just uh, it's just a position change. But obviously, this was the quarterback, so it was a lot more weight in this decision than he, than prior decisions. And so, yeah, and, I would say that. what's so interesting about that is that you know one decision leads to another one, right? So you got the decision 100%. to change quarterbacks, then Kelly has to decide what he's going to do, et cetera. Now, since that's a little sensitive one, since you're friends with these folks, I want to take you to another college football decision to get your opinion. This is kind of my bonus question. As a, okay. I played soccer for TCU from 1990 to 1994, which so you, I've heard of you, but you've definitely not heard of me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <Right there>. um, <laughs> right? um, so TCU, I, I, so first is just a fun question. How in the heck did TCU make it to the national championship? You play for Clemson. And you're thinking, man, we'll beat them on any given day of the week and they get to play in the national championship. And then yeah. I got a more serious question for you as a phone up. So how in the heck did you reconcile TCU making the championship this year? Hey man, um I think I think every year you'll see teams that have like set in stone proven programs over the last decade that always be in the mix. There's always a team that's in there that's gonna have a good year. That's just the nature of sports, you know. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's some teams I think that are set up to be in a year year in a year out. There's some programs that man, the dominoes just fall perfectly. You got the right people, everybody stays healthy. Yeah, you got a good coach, you got a right. good coaching staff, and it's like this is the perfect time to peak. And now big right. again, I don't know if I'm betting on that, but I have seen nah. like, you see a, you, you you'll see a LSU, you'll see uh like a, a TCU is a good example of just man, you got the perfect quarterback for the year. You got receivers. You just you just got the perfect dynamic one season right to go make a to go yeah. make a run but now talk about leadership right so that's a first year coach sonny dykes who replaced a 21 year right. veteran in right. patterson now here's a here's a there's so many decisions there right but you know they they went to patterson they said hey it's time to move on and, right. and, and patterson said look i don't want to move on so there's a decision and then they replaced they told him they were going to replace him and then he left he went to he went to be an analyst for the University of Texas of all places. What do you make of a coach with that much tenure? If he had just said, "Hey, I, I've done my time. I want to I want to get out of the way for the next guy," and you know, he, he, Patterson wouldn't have had to buy a meal in the city of Fort Worth, but he probably still doesn't for the rest of his life. They have a statue out front of him. What do you make of a head coach like that? Oh, after a twenty-plus year career leaving the school. When this, when the athletic director says, "Hey, it's time to go," what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's tough to hear. You know, as like being being the coach where you've seen, um, like you've been there, you've been proven. I think it just shows, man. Like nothing, nothing's ever promised, even in even in times of leadership. Like you still got to go prove it each and every year. And there's always mm-hmm. gonna be somebody up, up next. And I think that's the biggest thing I learned in the college football space, it's a very competitive space with your coach, player, or any anybody that's on staff, you know? Uh, I feel like keeping right. that mentality allows you to stay hungry, allows you to stay sharp, allows you to stay uh, on your toes. Because at the end of the day, that AD made a decision because he wanted to raise the standards of the university. Right. 
I mean, and clearly there's they, opportunity they there because they, yeah. won, they went to the national championship one exactly. year. And, you know, I think it's that I think it's one of the clearest examples I see in sports is when you get towards the end of your career to step aside for other people that are younger and upcoming. One of my favorite teams, I'm from Dallas, but I, I really had a lot of respect for Tim Duncan with the San Antonio Spurs because he was yeah. in the league for 20 years, but he was always mentoring younger players. And when he, I don't know if you know this, but he retired the same year as Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, God rest his soul with Kobe Bryant and a great guy. And yet, you know, Kobe did a, a whole tour for the, for the league and Tim Duncan re- retired in the middle of the night with a tweet. I remember. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's humility to me. And I know you live in a world where, you know, there's a lot of pressure and temptation towards the ego and it's hard to be humble, hungry, and smart and to step aside. So I don't know any other stories about just healthy, healthy examples or great examples of humility or trust that you've seen. That's kind of a, maybe a final last question. Anything you want to share with, with us or with the listeners about healthy leaders? Yeah, guys. Uh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, I'll probably say my my. Um, he was assistant head coach at that time. A guy named Tony Elliott. He's now the head coach at UVA. Ah. Um, I spent five years with him. He's my running backs coach, um, and and he became the tight ends coach my last year. But he was OC my entire time there. He was a co OC, mm-hmm. and then he became the officials, the solo OC uh, my last two two or three years there. But I would just say, speak of humility, I think of him just because, like you like you alluded to, in a world where people, like, loyalty is kind of slim and everybody's looking out for themselves or trying to make make the next best decision to, to rise up in the ranks. I think I just saw a person yeah. just stay aligned in their purpose and just be loyal to the program, to the vision God put in his heart, to not just go after money or an opportunity if it didn't feel right. And you see a lot of coaches – especially in college, like you work to get to a point where people are after you. Um, and a lot of people would take opportunities to go leave a school that they're like in a good position at as like not the head coach or as a position coach or OC to go finally be a head coach. And a lot of times, sometimes it's a premature decision and it doesn't usually end up well, you know, because once you make that decision, mm-hmm. there ain't no turning back. You can't really go from being a head coach. Rarely do you ever get to be the head coach and come back to being like a, another coach. Sometimes it works out for you, but I feel like it's a big leap right. of faith, and I think it, it's wise to have humility in that. He was one of the guys – I say that to say he was a guy who was sought out by a lot of a lot of uh, colleges each and every year to leave Clemson, mm-hmm. and he would always mm-hmm. tell us it didn't, it didn't feel right, and he trusted his gut. And then it was cool wow. to see him finally step into the opportunity he had at UVA, which I feel like, I feel like was very molded to his character, his vision, what he, what he wants in a program. Seeing that finally come to fruition for him, I guess a year and a half ago now. So he's going on year two uh, with UVA. Wow. So I think I think it's, I think it's important, man. I think um, every opportunity and a good opportunity, you know. I think it it yeah. matters like how you how it comes to you, what it looks like, and just having the humility to not just jump up and leave. And have having roots is important, just because the way he left, he'll always he always be able to come back, you know, at Clemson. I mean, yeah, right. Because you can you can move on and not damage damage the bridges you built. Yeah. Well, you'll love this. I just did a quick Google search for him, and then here's a quote that pops up. You're gonna love this. It says my vision for the UVA program is to become a model in college football. My goal is to contribute to the changing narrative in college football and demonstrate you can win at the highest level and do so while achieving excellence in education, 
leadership and service. Okay, it keeps going. He says his cultural cornerstones are humility, effort, effort, accountability, oh, yeah. respect, respect, and toughness. Heart, H E A R T. Humility, effort, yeah. accountability, respect, and toughness. That's pretty cool. I want to go to I want to go to UVA game after reading this this quote right here. Now that'd be kind of hard. I guess that it's a rival, right? That's a that's a pretty big rival for you guys. Not really. It's they well the ACs changed. They were on the other side of division for the longest time, and so okay, maybe maybe right. the way things are shifting now, there's no more divisions anymore. So it might be, but uh, so now okay. I'm for them. I want to win every game okay. besides that they play us. Okay, that's good. Well, hey, that's cool. I, I, I appreciate it. Go ahead. Yeah, hey, you, you, go to, say, you go to UVA game, Tim? Yeah, yeah I'll go to UVA game. But again, uh, <laughs> hey, Tony Ellett, I agree with Dan, first-class guy. I mean, man, you yeah, know. Sure. And, and for him to stay at Clemson as long as he did, you know, from a former alumni and a, and a fan, you know, I mean, he did he did a great job here. And I, we wish him nothing but success at UVA for sure. So right. he's going to build a right. program yeah. the right way. We know that. So, and Dan, you were on the inside. You know what I'm talking about a thousand times more than what I do. So, No doubt. Wow. Yeah, I do want to. Um, hey, uh, Gordon and Darius, we land the plane to finish our podcast today. You know, there's something that I that's just in my soul that I want to say is that, you know, Darian, when you went through when Dabo made that really tough decision when he changed quarterbacks in 2018, right? For our lead, business leaders that are listening, you know what? Making decisions and Gordon, you and I, we talk about this all the time. Is so is hard. And that, you know what, when you make those decisions, stay behind them. Even when – and you know what, you don't need to worry about what the outside world thinks. You need to think right. what's best for the for your, for your the team when it comes to Clemson, in that example, or when it's best for your company. And you know what, stand firm behind your decision to where you can get the outcome that you want to achieve. So I think that was a great – that's a great example. And you talked about the stress that was in the room when, when Dabo made that – you know, when he, when he made that announcement. But you know what? Yeah. Hey, we, we saw when when you know when everyone was out in uh, California, hold, you know, hey, celebrating with a victory, fifteen and zero. You know, so uh, so what a great season. But but you had to make tough decisions, and in business, you've got to, leaders that you're listening. You have to make tough decisions and stand behind those decisions that you make. So easy to say, hard to do. So so that's really good. Correct. So hey, as we you know, so uh, as we finish up, Darian. If any of our listeners listen today and want to get in touch with you, social media, anything like that, what's yeah. the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, I'm on every platform. It's my name, Darian Rencher, if you want to check me out. Um, but, yeah, kind of in the entrepreneurial space as well, doing different things, um, social media, clothing brand, and then getting into sports journalism, uh, the more I kind of remove myself from playing my playing days. So, yeah, that's me. Uh, but Darian Rencher, everything, check me out. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Well, hey, for our listener, Gordon, thanks for being on today. Darian, thank you. You bet. For our thank listeners, you. Uh, for our listeners, everyone, uh, hey, we'll see you next month. Take care and God bless. If you would like to continue the journey with us, please subscribe and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. If there are any specific topics you would like to hear, be sure to put that in the comments as well. We will be launching a new podcast on the first Wednesday of every month. If you know others that will get benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it with them and we'll be seeing you guys next month.